0: You're watching the Letterman Podcast with Mike Chisholm, endorsed by the Hello Deli.
1: Yeah!
2: (laughs) Hello, Mike. This is Steve Young. First of all, I want to thank you for inviting me to be part of these festivities. It's a truly great honor. So, I want to wish you a very happy...
1: Welcome to the Letterman podcast. This is our anniversary episode in the title. You now know who it is. And uh, well, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to suffer through a bit of an introduction before we get to Paul. Uh, Very, very excited. It has been very difficult for me to keep this a secret having Paul on the show. Uh, We wanted to do it for the anniversary and uh, uh, 420. 420 is the anniversary of the Letterman podcast. Uh I know what many of you are thinking. Oh, you're from British Columbia, BC bud. 420 has been like your anthem for your whole life. Um <laughs> not me personally. I didn't even start indulging in that kind of stuff until I was like 38 years old, but yes, BC where I'm from uh is 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 very very much a um a center point, um a hub for the 420 movement but that is not what 420 is for me 420 is the anniversary of the letterman podcast purposely started on that day because uh there it is there's the ticket right there uh for my night the night that kind of changed my life um the night at the ed sullivan theater um april 20th 2015 one month before dave retired exactly one month to the day um the day that uh it just—it seems to be the fact that I thought that that day—you know—it's funny life's perspective. I thought that day was going to be um, kind of an ending point, a swan song. You know, Dave's retiring in a month. I went after New York. Uh, my wife and I went to Jamaica. Watched, every, came home, watched everything on the on the on the the DVR, and and like everybody else, um, watched those last days of Letterman. And and it was—I uh, thought it was a goodbye. I thought my moment with Dave. Uh, and the show, um, and all of the cool things that have come, uh, you know, around that, at that time. Um, I thought that that was uh, the universe saying, okay, there you go, you get to say goodbye to something that um, you 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 cared for and care for so deeply. And from inside, it turns out, uh, that day actually kicked off something that would, um, eventually lead to this show, to the Letterman podcast. I cannot tell you how many, um, how grateful we are for all of the, uh, the love that we've gotten. There's been some public love that we've thrown out there with Rogalski and Jeremy Weiner and Don Giller sent a happy anniversary message. Scott, um, Steve Young, amazing. And and, and there's a few others that are coming actually. Uh, but, uh, um the stuff in behind the scenes and and this is from folks who worked for the show uh i just thank you so much for the love that that, that we've gotten and also of course from um the the viewership and listenership that's that's growing um thank you so much for for enjoying what I enjoy and and helping to create this community. Uh, Now let's uh, do a little bit of housekeeping. We are still finishing up the contest for the late show rejection postcard. I'm giving a few of these away, brand new ones. Um, And uh, you got to just join the Facebook group, the letterman podcast, Facebook group, find the contest post, like it. You get your name in the, uh, in the draw for one of these things. Uh, Leave a comment, preferably a positive one. You get your name in the draw Uh, again share it. Once again, you get your name in the draw. So you can have your name in the draw like up to three times. And if you have multiple Facebook accounts, I'm not monitoring for that because I'm just not smart enough. Um, Today's guest, I purposefully did not do an introduction with Paul on here. I had him for a limited amount of time and I did not want to spend it doing what I'm doing right now. Uh, Plus you'll find at the end of the show where I tried to give him some accolades and how special he is to me. Um, you know, he tolerated me for a good 30 seconds of it, but then he had to, he, you know, just, he's on brand. He doesn't take compliments well. <laughs> and, uh, I just, uh, it was a dream come true as you can all imagine, uh, for me to talk to him. It was tremendous. Um, I'm really excited to put this episode out there because Paul has such um, a special place in my heart. I mentioned to him, uh, I talk about the idea, that, and there's this thing, if, if, if uh, I know our, 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 our audience is largely American um, and I appreciate it. I love my brothers and sisters to the South. Love the, love y'all. Um, there is a special kind of pride when a Canadian would go across the border and do well down there in the States. And there were two that uh, were my, my guys. One was Wayne Gretzky. The other one was Paul Schaefer. And 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 I love how Canadian Paul was. He even referenced in the show how he uh, was was you know Dave loved talking about the Canadiana of Paul, and I agree. Uh, so the first thing I'm going to talk about is if you haven't read Paul's book, uh, we'll all be here for the rest of our lives. Um, go get it. Go find a copy of it, get a copy of it that pays Paul, uh, get a new copy of it um, if you can. Um, it's a really good book. Uh, lots of very cool anecdotes and a lot of things you might not, um, you might not realize. Uh, and, and I just, again, I don't know if there's a musician on the planet that has collaborated more more with other musicians in as big a ways, uh, in as, as big a ways as Paul Schaefer has. Uh, I mean, he's an icon. Um, I'm going to tell you this. I know I'm not supposed to say this. People who coach me on this stuff say, oh, yeah, don't ever deprecate yourself about things, you know, let people make their own decision. And that's fine. I don't think I hit a home run on this one as an interviewer, as a a guy. I was was fine up until he joined the conversation. And the moment I saw him in the waiting room, a wave of nervousness hit me. I'm really grateful Don was on the podcast with me um to help me for part of it don was on we played stump the band leader he had a couple of bumpers that we uh, we didn't name it stump the band leader on the show that that came afterwards but this is what it is and and um but like i say i don't think i hit a home run with him uh as an interviewer i talked over a couple of times and there's there's a whole bunch of questions that are left on the table thankfully i did a good enough job where he said of course he would come back so we're really grateful for that um I can't wait for that. Uh, I think the next time he and I have a conversation, uh, I'll be able to, uh, to create a lot more um, in-depth stuff, but I was just a little freaked out and it was a great learning experience. It was awesome. Um, just so grateful. So, so it's happy anniversary to the, the the Letterman podcast. I've got two copies of the picture, both signed by Dave. One's up there. That's the uh, to Mike, my best friend, David Letterman. This one is the hello, Mike. Nice seat, David Letterman. And right there in that picture, what is he doing? He is turning and talking to Paul and saying, Paul, these Canadians are supposed to be polite. These Canadians are just, and you know, and I was being a bit of a brat and he called me out for it. And the rest of the audience is laughing their butts off about it. Um, I thought that that moment was the end and it turns out it's the beginning in many, many, many respects. And, uh, um yeah I I just the fact that I get to talk to Paul 8 years later and I get to share it with everybody is uh on the 1 year anniversary of this show um man I, I'm really grateful I hope that there's enough content in there that people are entertained um and 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 given some of the insights that uh that that folks that are part of this community really enjoy getting Um, I hope you like it a lot. Uh, Thank you very, very much for all of the support so far in our first year. Um, Like Carson says, hopefully uh, not just more, but much more to come. We're working on some cool things. And uh, I could not thank everybody who has been part of this uh, enough. Every single guest that we've had on the show, um, Don Giller, I cannot be more grateful for you um, helping to keep, you know, my facts checked and, 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 and all the other ways that you help, um, the people in the background who have, uh, um, given me all of these insights into helping me be a better interviewer, um, whether it's technically or, um, you know, uh, even insights on the guests that I have coming up where I ask a question that, that, that might not have been asked before and, and, and whatnot. And y'all know who you are. Um, thank you for that. Um, I want to thank um, you know everybody involved in Worldwide Pants for not pushing the red button and saying hey cease and desist stop doing this I'm really grateful for that um, hopefully we can um, cross over more and I, I would very very much like that um, you know in my head I view this as my internship I know I'm a strange guy and I understand that uh, but that's how I kind of view this it's like okay I'm I'm interning I'm interning I'm fighting for a job of some sort and that job may not exist but it doesn't matter because it's so cool. Uh, I believe that I had similar sentiments on episode one. I haven't watched episode one. It's a little bit uh, hard for me to watch some of these old episodes sometimes. Um, But I still feel the same way a year later. In fact, I'm probably even more enthused if you can imagine that. Um, More to come. And uh, I can't wait to see what else because on that night, that night, I never could have fathomed this. uh, The fact that our sponsor is the Hello Deli. The fact that before Rupert rides off into the sunset, whoever buys the Hello Deli, um, the fact is, you know, whether it sells a month from now or a year from now, whenever he it sells, um, the fact that we could say the Letterman podcast is brought to you in part by our we have one sponsor, and that's the Hello Deli. Go to hello dash deli.com to get uh Letterman related David Letterman related merchandise. Um I, I could never have fathomed that that night. That night felt like it was the pinnacle. And it turns out things have gotten bigger and better and bigger and better in so many ways. And I just want to say um, to people out there, if there's something, I don't know what you do for work. I don't know what your, what life looks like for you, but if there's something that you've always wanted to do, even if you can do it in a small way, if you're a hockey player and, and haven't played in years, go join a beer league. Um, if there's, uh, you know, if, if there's a, a book you've always wanted to write, just go write it. No outcome necessary. Just, just go write it the joy and the fulfillment that you get from that will actually bleed into the other parts of your life and make the other parts of your life a little bit better. If I could say that, um, it certainly has for me. And, uh, on the year anniversary of the Letterman podcast, I am so, so proud to present uh, order of Canada recipient, ladies and gentlemen, um, the hero to me, um, an icon in the music and in the entertainment he's a showbiz icon, ladies and gentlemen, we give you Paul Schaefer. Okay. So here's the thing we've got. uh, And here's where I'm going to start where the people won't necessarily understand. We have an order of Canada recipient here right now. And I'm very excited about this, Paul um, Canadian. I'm a Canadian too. And there's, there's, there's a thing where, and i don't know if this was your generation your generation and i love you personally your story how you love showbiz growing up and all the things surrounding showbiz and the, the mystique and all that stuff you wanted to be in it um i can definitely relate to that being a canadian from a small city um and 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 the pipeline of entertainment that comes from below the 49th parallel that comes up here uh encapsulates and and, and gets the imagination going that's probably part of where this show this show comes from um, there was always a thing with us Gen Xers where we would cheer on a Canadian who made it big down south, who would go to the states and do that. I don't know if that was um, in, in, in uh, something that happened with your generation or not, but there were two Canadians that I always cheered more than anybody. Number one was Wayne Gretzky. Number two was Paul Schaefer. Uh, very, very exciting to talk to you today. Um, still a Canadian to this day. You, you, you take part in, uh, you know, Canada's Walk of Fame. Uh, the, the You know, the, you perform with, you know, Vancouver Symphony Orchestra, Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. You, you, you still do a lot of stuff in Canada. I just want to say thank you so much for being a proud Canadian down south, having made it as big as you have. Um, well, it's, you know, I'm so proud of
0: my Canadian heritage. And I think maybe that's, you know, I, I was helped out by my old boss, David Letterman, who, who used to encourage me, you know, and kid me about it in a good-natured way, but that shows the sense of humor, you know, that uh, that we Canadians have, because uh, they got it, and I, uh, the, the joke, and they liked it, They, you know, and they could see that I was proud of my heritage, and, you know, maybe that has something to do with my getting that great honor, the greatest uh, non-military honor there is, as you know, in Canada.
1: Absolutely, and, uh, you know, very cool, uh, you know, Dave obviously recognized on a national level in the States, uh, you know, the Kennedy center honors, uh, the Mark Twain award, that sort of thing. Um, you given Canada's highest, um, you know, regard, uh, from a national level, from a government level. I think that's a really, really cool thing. This body of work that you were a part of, um, a major, major part of, uh, do you reflect on it very often Is nostalgia, something that is, uh, that's, that's near and dear to you other than music, of course. And we'll talk about, we're going to talk a lot about music today, but like, are you a nostalgic guy, Paul?
0: I don't think that it's uh, news to anybody that I sort of live in the past, uh, (laughs) exist there, and breathe only that air, you know, stale, stale air. Give me some (laughs) the stale air of the cigarette smoke of nineteen sixty-seven, and I'm a happy man. Um, But of course I am, and I've got a little opportunity, you know, my schedule. Eased up a little bit since the old days. Yeah. There's some time to, to think about things. So things come back because at the time one is working so hard that you don't even recognize you know, you don't recognize what's going on. Yep. And then it comes back to me, or maybe I might see a clip or something and say, Oh my, I have no recollection of this. That's happening a little more than I would have wanted it to. Can't, no oh. recollection of this, but. But on the other hand, lots, oh. of, lots of amazing recollections. But how could one remember every single show, you know, for all those 33 years? Uh, quite a privilege to, to have been a part of it. Uh,
1: yeah, a whirlwind uh, without a doubt. And I mean, we're talking, it's its everything. It's the it's SNL, um, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And then of course, of course, Letterman and, and, and all of that stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of a musician who might have collaborated with more musicians than you? And I can't, I can't come up with a name. I, I, I can't. Like even when you think about like Doc back in the day, Doc and and, and and the people that he would cross his path, they didn't cross paths the same way that musicians crossed your paths. I, I, uh, I don't know. Is has anybody collaborated more than you? I don't think so. Well, certainly,
0: you know, in the rock and roll era. I just came along at the right time. And uh, in Doc's day, that big band was the swinginist thing. We heard, you know, and, and he kept it going, right? As long as Johnny Carson kept going, Quite an accomplishment. And really, when you think back on it, he did play for everybody. And we yep. remember the yep. time, you know, when he would um, have a string section at the top of the show, you'd hear the strings playing on the theme and say, oh, I wonder who he's got tonight. And it would be Sinatra, you know. Oh, and yep. Doc, you know, has expanded the band. Fantastic. I grew up watching that up in the frozen north of Thunder Bay. And, <laughs> and certainly it was, uh, sorry, I jiggled the, the
1: cat. No, that's okay. Um,
0: certainly it was um, influential. To, you know, it, it, it sort of shaped me. Yeah, I would have then got in the position of maybe having to expand my band for some reason, you know, and then using the strings from the top of the show, you know, that those kind of things, those little moves, uh, come back. How yeah. uh, we start? I bored myself with, you know, with the answer. I can't even remember the question. Uh, are,
1: are you we, kidding me? No, this oh, is
0: yeah, no, about Doc. I was going to say he played for Sinatra. Yeah. Uh, Not said, you know. Yeah. That means he played for everybody. But uh, you know, I certainly remember, you know, Sarah Vaughn. Uh, yeah. and when when Jimmy, you know, when Eddie Shaughnessy, his daughter played for Jimi Hendrix mm-hmm. that time, you know,
1: that was historic. Mashup, uh, you know, one of the in, uh, initial mashups of styles and you put them together and it's just this amu- uh, amazing as as new piece of art.
0: Burns, he had
1: sideburns, Burns, big mutton chops
0: yeah. trying to be swing with the youth and made it all worthwhile and he did he kept up with Hendrix god bless him you know it was a last minute thing drummer didn't make it or something so um um i happen to be in the rock and roll area you know and just say hey uh, when the concept of doing five shows a week came up you know gee that's hard. you know i'm not going to certainly do original music or anything that's just too much writing <laughs> what if i just do the stuff that i love the songs that i love you know Stuff of my youth, the soul music and stuff. And then, originally, uh, I was going to just do soul music. Yep. And then I was influenced, you know, by some of the players that do uh, add the Beatles and the Stones and stuff um, to it. But there I was, you know, playing. And then these artists would, would hear it for the first time, you know, a house band playing their stuff. Yeah. I think that a little bit st- happened, you know, especially when my idol James Brown. Okay, he requested to come on, you know, I'll never forget it. Because we heard, he heard us doing his stuff, you know, as, as commercial bumpers and stuff. And when we came on, we, when he came on, and he was one of the early guys to do it. We were just laying for him. We knew, you know, we knew him. Down, we had him down cold.
1: I, I want to ask a question about that because uh, it's, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up um a bunch of the writers that i've i've talked to on this show have talked about uh the idea especially in the early late night days how you guys it was a whirlwind like you said the, the well the four shows a week and 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 just put your head down you're going to work you're doing all these five things shows, you
0: have, excuse me though five shows a week and a two on one of the days off right right of course we um early at the beginning
1: yeah, yeah and, 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 and and you had SNL. So, I mean, you had context of something that had gone kind of and become a worldwide phenomenon by that point. But a lot of these writers and these people didn't. And they just put their head down and they went to work. And suddenly they realized, like um, like we brought up the idea of when you guys moved the show to California for a week and the lineup was all night outside, the like, like it was impacting culture like crazy. You probably experienced that in a little bit of a different way when some of these really contemporary, the hottest artists in the world were fans of the show and and wanting to come on. Like, and James Brown being a prime example of that, um, a lot of people loved what you guys were doing early on. Were you aware of that or did it come as a surprise to you like it did for some of these writers?
0: Yeah, certainly as a surprise and maybe, you know, only really becoming aware of it now. Uh, Same thing with Saturday Night Live. My experience was, and remember, you know, my, I was there the very first show for the first five years. And I don't think anybody really figured out, you know, that it was becoming uh, even well-known in some cases until it was over. Just so hard to keep doing it. Yep. Uh, And that was, you know, of course, a bigger production to do live. I still, I never got over how, how that got on the air. Um, but then doing five of those show kind of shows, not live, it takes a lot of the pressure off, but um, you can see why you wouldn't really realize. I do have this recollection of er- early um, uh, on in, in the SNL history of Sunday brunch time in the village. Um, I married uh, my wife, Kathy, but we were going together at the time. Yep. Just trying to date together, you know, Sunday brunch would often be a thing. Yeah. And just to hear at the table, people start talking, you know, about a sketch that was on last night. Uh, first time, I, you know, that I became aware of that, I started hearing it from, you know, on, on Sunday. Now, yeah. now it, it's explode, the internet explodes the next day with reviews yeah. and critiques of the show and, and analyses. It's amazing. I don't know. They like to say, you know, Lauren Michaels like to say, we, we had the opportunity to sneak on the air <laughs> because we were just Saturday night. It was a dead time slot. It said we weren't being judged right away. We, yep. we could, uh, you know, had some time to get ourselves together. Yep. Well, it sure wouldn't have been the case now.
1: No, everything is instant. Um, the instant, uh, the, the viral moment back then, the viral moment was, uh, you know, to to borrow the, the the well-used term, it was a water cooler type thing or, a, you know, we're out the next day. Hey, did you see this last night? Um, much easier. Will and I talked about this too. I, and I, I can't wait to get into talking about music with you. Will and I talked about this. He said back then it was a really, it was, a, I said, how did you keep up with everything? That was a question I, I, I gave to him. All these different genres, all these different things. How did you keep up with all of that? And he said back then it was a lot easier, similar to the fact that there's three television networks back then, and you could kind of, uh, you know, take it all in where now there's, you know, thousands of stuff, same thing with music, you know, music was very regimented. The, the, the Each company would put out certain things and you could kind of keep up with everything. Um, whereas now the pipeline is so big. It's like, it's, it's, it's beyond a fire hose. It's a geyser. That's just of entertainment that's coming out. Um, before we leave Saturday night live stuff, Uh, I want to, I want to ask about Andy Kaufman. I'm a huge, huge Andy Kaufman fan. Um, You have a very uh, unique perspective on Andy uh, as Andy, the man himself. You talk about it in your book. And by the way, folks, if you haven't gotten Paul's book, we'll be here for the rest of your lives. Get it. Um, It's, it's still available. You can still, it's still, please, please, please get it. All of these amazing stories, the Jerry Lewis stories, all of the things that uh, that he talks about in this book outside of Letterman. Never mind, there's great Letterman stuff, of course, but Paul's book is fantastic. Uh, but you talk about Andy a little bit in there. I want to talk about Andy for a second because you saw the man himself, the performance artist that it was Andy. You were also one of the people who was famously uh, fooled by Tony Clifton. Thank and you. and I am blown away by that. The fact that you kind of knew Andy, you saw him, you saw the Mighty Mouse performance, you were there for that, uh, you know, and, and as Andy evolved, yes. and then Tony performed, and he got you.
0: Well, uh, um, maybe I was a little, you know, resentful, because the idea presented here was that uh, Andy would do two shows, two nights in a row. He'd yep. appear as a guest on Letterman's show two nights in a row. First night as himself, Andy Kaufman, the conceptual comedian. Second night as the, his alter ego, a character that he does, Tony Clifford. Yes, sir. So, uh, and Tony's going to perform
1: yep.
0: uh, with me and the band. So the thing was, though, that when Andy got there, he was all about, you know, when Tony gets here, he's... <laughs> He's going to be, you know, he's very difficult to work with. You better be on top of your game. Tony Clifton gets, you. <laughs> and I'm just saying, you know, don't. I'll be able to work with Tony. Don't worry about it. But I thought you remember that show, Max Headroom. Uh, of course, absolutely. Shout it's out so to Morty by work, the way. It's like having to work with Max Headroom or something. Uh, you know, I was wanted to say, Andy, it's me. But you know, go ahead. All right, I'll work <laughs> with Tony. I'll play along. You know. Sure. So, um, but I'm confident, you know, Tony's gonna do old Vegas shtick and, uh, you know, babe, who are you dealing with? <laughs> exactly. So he, he comes in the next day all made up, of course, and, and in costume, and he's he's a character which immediately I can see uh, that under this facade, I, I mean, I'm, t- I'm not talking that, about that Andy's under there, just in, in the case of Tony, this character seems to have multi-levels and he's kind of a sweetheart underneath this Vegas persona. I'm starting to like him. And it occurred to me, I really liked working with him more than I liked working with Andy. Uh, <laughs> I guess only because uh, you know I had in common with him. I'm a nightclub performer too. I was working the clubs in, you know, Toronto, Yonge Street, but same kind of thing. I did relate to him. He wasn't, and he was a nuanced character, and I enjoyed the whole thing. And I was, of course, right on top of his cues and stuff for him. And uh, and it was a, a successful performance. Um, well,
1: you caught, you stayed you stayed with him. Like every time he switched songs, you, you were there, right there with him, and all of that stuff. I've and- seen it, you
0: know. So, <laughs> yep. but, but, um, thank you for noticing whatever. <laughs> I'm sure that's what I was aiming to do. So oh, it was way later, though, that, uh, you know, he had a manager named Bob Zamuda. Yes. A number of us knew him, too, because of Tony's multiple appearances, you know, manager would come with him. And 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 then uh, we started to hear, that even after Andy's death, yeah. that Bob Zamuda might appear somewhere as Andy, and people, the rumor would oh, maybe Andy didn't die. That was just his final stroke of, but it was really Zamuda pretending to be Andy and in Zmuda's book which was given to me by my lovely wife uh, she knows me well obviously you give me Bob Zmuda's book but he said in there you know not only did I play Andy sometimes but sometimes I played Tony Clifton and and people thought it was Andy including the Letterman show and I'm reading this he says we're not when we did the Letterman show, Andy did the first night, and I came the second night as Tony. Uh, oh, whatever, and I said, "Oh my goodness!" <laughs> so yes, I had been duped. I
1: had worked with Mr. Muda as Tony Clifton. Uh, the only other question I had about that was: Have you had you actually have you actually talked to Bob since then, or did you just hear about it in the book and that was it? Yeah, no, I don't think
0: so. I don't run into him.
1: This is. You know this is my show biz like like okay i i appreciate uh like i think about people like morty or yourself or these people tom dreesen uh, another good example who just the showbiz of their youth and 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 i just um you are that to me like like and i don't know like okay. is that something that um ever enters it enters your mind like knowing that you are kind of that guy to a whole no, generation of people
0: if, if i'm you it's like so you, I'm your Jerry Vale. Is that what you're trying to? Trying uh, you're to- no, you're
1: you're. Oh <laughs> yeah, gosh, I I think you broke you the mold, Paul. The no, <laughs> I mean you'd have to combine you'd have to combine all of these different legends together to get who you are because you're completely unique. Um, but you are that, like like your Late Show to me was my tonight, my dad's Tonight Show. Yeah, you no, know. Yeah. It 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 simply was. Um, I love that show so much. Uh, we've actually danced around this a little bit here. When you talk about Doc and how Doc would have strings and do different things with the theme, I want to I want to dive into the theme if you if you wouldn't mind for a second here because I love Letterman's theme. I love the evolution of Letterman's theme. I love where it started. I love the organs. Uh, I wanna talk about organs and rock music if if we have a chance as well. Uh, I think it's it's one of the perfect instruments for a rock song if it's done right. Um, The original organ theme and then how it evolved into what a theme song that Doc Severinsen would be like, yep, I think that's like, it's, it's a Tonight Show level fanfare theme with the horns and all of that stuff. Um, was that a conscious thing for you? Did you marry those two things? Like, yes, I want to evolve the theme. I want to make it bigger over the years.
0: Oh uh, yes, and, and was uh, I was assigned to do that really when when uh, the Letterman show moved to CBS at eleven thirty? It was it was explained to me. You know, we've got to have a a bigger band. They didn't really specify how that was up to me but we got to have a you know this is a big show we got to have a, a larger band and we, and um we also um uh we got to redo the theme uh which um i didn't know i'd have to redo it so many times because as you probably know they kept ch- every time they changed the picture yep. uh, you're trying to match the picture with the with the music and so you have to do another version another version but but that's, you know, that was the evolution of it. We've got to make it, you know, bang, more exciting. And when, man, when we went on the air at 1130, there was this little bit of paranoia. People are going to flip. People are flipping, we can hear them flipping over. Yep. Uh, you know, until all the other talk shows that were all coming up. Um, and so everything, you know, uh, it did get kind of specific. We want everything, Tight, you know, explaining to me like that. We don't yep. want any relaxed groove anymore, is what they were saying, and and they got that through to me. So thanks. And I was trying to, um, you know, trying to give the people what they want and and readjust that theme. Uh, but but as you also probably know, I I readjusted it so many times that I, eventually I kind of brought it back to. The beginning the same feel as the beginning just with horns now yeah but I started when we first went on CBS I you know I started trying to have a funky you know really more of a funky <clears throat> funky punchy you know yep that wasn't quite wasn't quite as good so That's the cool. first opportunity I had they changed the period I went back to the shuffle as soon as I can but tried to make it more of a big band uh, punchy shuffle.
1: I uh, I love that theme. It's it's iconic to me, and the very like I I loved the very very last incarnation of it. I thought it I thought the theme crescendoed. I really really did, and I thought by the end of it, uh, where it started with the with the the synthesizer part at the beginning of it, and then and then it would kick in, um, you know, to the the little flurry before the fanfare began. Like I I loved the last theme. Um, I would always love when um, when they would allow the credits to extend uh at the end of the show and we get to hear the theme more so at the end of the show and you get to hear some of the guitar solos and some riffing and things like that um i just i love what you guys did with it over the years and you did keep it fresh um yeah it's it's iconic to say the least and uh yeah it's just it's 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 one of those things um can i talk to you about your wardrobe a little bit on the uh, on the late show did you have a stylist or was this the 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 inner showbiz Paul coming out and whenever you'd see something flamboyant out and about you would uh, you'd 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 grab it your outfits, your glasses all of that was amazing. Did you have a stylist that did that?
0: Well first you know to ask your question this was the, this predated the stylists uh, I had no team either you know yeah. you never heard me talking about my team. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I'm not supposed to fun. talk about the staff. <laughs> it took a
0: while for me to even get a, you know, by the end of it, I got a little bit of a wardrobe allowance. Yep. And I got a wardrobe allowance for the band too. Because um, they started wanting us to up our game a little bit, appearance wise. Yep. When I started though, you know, Dave Letterman, as you remember, was wearing it, those uh, Adidas wrestling. Yep. And uh, the chinos, I think those are called. Yep. His trademark jacket and uh, kind of Ivy League striped tie. So, you know, we were also very casual. Yep. Uh, our band, some more than others. We remember fondly the great Hiram Bullock and his uh, t-shirts, you know, jazz festival t-shirt and no, no shoes, whatever. <laughs> Just the bare feet, and of course it was a kind of show where the camera would go right to
1: higher speed. Absolutely, shout so out was, to Hal Gertner there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly.
0: <laughs> uh, but then I just, you know, so I wasn't doc at the, at the time, but I don't know. Uh, uh, it was time to sort of wear wear, you know, ties and and jackets, and I don't know. I became a little more flamboyant. Um, with apologies to Doc, of course, who cornered that market, but what can I say? I, don't, I have no more explanation for it than that. But I will, you know, guilty as charged, but it reminds me of another bizarre thing that I did in my career, which was um, during Saturday Night Live, uh, um, I left this, this show for the second season, most most of the second season. Yep. And, and went and did a, this bizarre show in Hollywood called A Year at the Top, of a, about a rock band. And, and it was not successful, but nonetheless, uh, I was out there and I started wearing those white Elton John frames on the show. I don't know, they want, I was gonna wear flashy glasses. First time I was gonna wear like interesting glasses. Wardrobe mistress took me shopping And they said, here's Elton's next pair. Because he shopped out there too, Optique Boutique on Sunset. And they showed me these white. I said, well, are you kidding? Give me those. (laughs) Yeah. When I got my old job back on Saturday Night Live afterwards, I, I continued wearing the glasses. Yep. I don't know. You know, what a silly move, really. His trademark, not mine. I'm embarrassed to think about it now, but it seemed to work for me as
1: well. I think the kids call that homage. I think they call that homage these days, Paul. I think that's, I think they that's cool. may
0: pronounce it that way in Vancouver, but I know it's the same. Uh, they don't. In, in Canada, they say homage, of course. But man, I guess that's what I was doing, really. Uh, truthfully, yes. It was an homage, because I still love the hell out of yeah. John and his musicianship.
1: Absolutely. Um, James Brown, obviously a pivotal moment. Um, for you Uh, I mean moment after moment after moment you playing with these amazing artists uh, sometimes a lot of the time the top song of the day you guys getting your chance to put your, your spin on it um, you know, Bruce Springsteen obviously being, you know, a, a watershed moment uh, on the last late night. Uh, what were some other that come to mind right now, just stream of consciousness? What are some of the moments that uh, in late night, some of these collaborations that you played in that were uh, were special to you, whether they were big or ones that were just personal and fun?
0: Well, um, you know, the, the, the thing about um, sitting in with the, with the house band was a sort of a new thing at that time. Yeah. I don't know, you know, who had done it beforehand, but the the concept of you know that comes from more of a jazz, you know, jazz band in a nightclub. You know, hey man, you want to sit in? You know, um, we started doing it uh, with the house band. It was interesting because you know you're not going to see all of it at home, but the person's going to sit in and play. The whole night with with us the house band yep and it was started by, by suggested to us through Sandra. Uh, furton was a talent coordinator at the time and she came to me and she said i heard from john heliwell the sax player of Trap. Hmm. well i knew Trap and i knew some of their music i certainly didn't know their personnel but yep. he's she said, he's the sax player. And he thought, you know, well, asked if he could sit in with the band and I thought, fantastic. So we did it with John Halliwell, and as is my want, you know, I wanted to do all the different super trap things that I knew that I liked, you know, because yep. I haven't had a lot of those. Uh, but he was the first guy to suggest it. Um, and then a few other people did it. But when Eric Clapton, did it that's when really it kind of broke it open Every, everyone saw that and then everybody wanted to sit in especially when they realized that if you sit in you know you're very likely to have Dave Letterman hold up your product right at the top of the show not, not you don't even have to wait till the end uh, then everybody wanted to sit in. And that but, was early
1: on that was July 29th 1982. Uh, so that was that was really early on that Don just uh, God, that. You know. <laughs> uh, Sam Bourne, B.B. King, Grover Washington before Eric. Um, you know, these are some amazing names, amazing artists that you collaborate with. Uh, Eric Clapton. I love I love how you mentioned Eric Clapton there, because, uh, you know, again, when you read your book, you talk about the evolution of your relationship with Eric Clapton, with the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, OK, you had done SNL, you had done, the, you know, some you had some big moments. When this happens with Eric Clapton from Cream, like like the, again, is is it, Do you have an existential crisis going? Holy cow! I can't believe this is happening. Or are you absolutely. used to it by that point?
0: I'm absolutely aware of what you're saying and understand how big that you know that was his you know his superstar stature. Yeah. Um. Uh, But again, you know, it's something that I only kind of realize now as I look.
1: That Uh, is a very cool thing to realize now, though. That's very cool to look back on.
0: Yes. And even, you know, perhaps cooler was the fact that uh, he said uh, after the show, he said, we've got to play some more. Is there a place we could go and play and just turn up, turn the amps up? And we, you know, we got a, a rehearsal studio and went over there and jammed. And there's a, that was a quite a, you know, a, a notorious night when Stevie Ray Vaughan came by next door, picked up a guitar, you know, a rented guitar, blew us all away and split. But uh, that same night as Clapton had just done a show. So yeah, you know, but I didn't realize it at the time because it was another show the very next night. Uh, quite a quite an experience to think about now. At the time, there wasn't thinking about it; just trying to accomplish.
1: It. Yeah. Oh, perspective is such an interesting thing. Um, man, a rehearsal space. Like how many, how many musical moments have you been, you've been a part of that nobody has seen except for you in that communal moment, that special moment where musicians get that synergy that just doesn't exist anywhere else. It's that, it's that uh, universal harmony in a language other than speech. Uh, How many moments have you had that nobody has seen? Like that is a crazy story right there. Eric Clapton, Stevie Ray Vaughan shows up and leaves. We had a rehearsal space. Nobody sees that. And you get to be a part of that and you get to cherish that. I just uh, I appreciate the fact that you cherish it and you and you are aware of it. That's really cool. Um, yeah, but you you know, certainly the part about how you don't
0: appreciate it at the time you know, is moving yeah. so fast, you know. It's certainly true too. And funny and funny to look back on. It.
1: Wow I, I can't uh, that happened. The
0: um, organ the other the, day. The, Oh, sorry. I don't mean
1: to talk over you, Paul. I apologize for that. That's my bad for talking over oh, you there. I was just filling in time. Go <laughs> ahead. Um, I have a couple of, nobody knows you're doing this. Okay. I haven't told anybody. I haven't told Walter. I haven't told, I haven't told anybody that that you're doing this. It's a surprise for the anniversary show. Uh, but after I had Will on um, an author of, I don't know if you've read uh, last days of Letterman or not, but it is an incredible sure. book.
0: I have.
1: Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome book. And Scott Ryan's a good friend of mine, good friend of the show. Um, And uh, after I interviewed Will, he immediately uh, sent me a video and he he precursed it by saying, okay, this is in case you ever get Paul on the show. In case you ever get, so this, he has no idea this is happening. Uh, I'm going to play you a really quick video if you don't mind. Okay.
2: Hello, Mr. Schaefer. It's an honor to get to ask you a question. I, first of all, want to thank you for giving me decades of this emotion. Huh? Why is he playing this song? That doesn't make any... Oh, I can see clearly now for John Travolta because of the documentary Clear. Sneaky! So if you were just picking those songs to make the band laugh, I want you to know it, it, you were picking them for me because I always enjoyed that, but that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about me and the piano. So in 1981, I got my first piano, and you you know as a piano player, you gotta have that show-off song. You wanna have that thing, because you only got like 20 seconds where the relatives are interested. And I thought the most show-offy song was Jump Shot Boogie by Barry Manilow, which I know you know, but for uh, the listeners who maybe don't know, it's, you know, the Boogie Boogie Beetle that's going to town. And I wanted to be able to play that, so I worked on it, and, you know, because it has that good catchy beginning, and I added that was my first improv so huh. so I would always say you know Barry, that was a Barry Manilow song which I had no um, problem admitting to now I do a Letterman book last days of Letterman I cover all your beautiful music and I watched Dave for all these years you skip through all of that I start collecting vinyl records and of course I'm gonna get Barry Manilow because I gotta have my jump shot boogie I check the liner notes jump shot boogie Keyboards, Paul Schaefer. And by the way, bass, Will Lee. What, you got Dave's band in here? But my question is, who's playing you or Barry Manilow? Because all these years, I've been saying I learned from Barry Manilow, and I need to know, is it Paul Schaefer? So tell me, are you the Jump Shop Boogeyman? So how about it? My goodness. Uh, well,
0: no, he's absolutely, I mean, only Will knows that because he was there. But yes, I did play the piano on that, that bogey piano. And it was a big deal at the time too, because Barry, uh, who Will worked for, uh, on all the big records. Yep. And I, uh, you know, joined in a little later. I was it's just starting to get going in the recording studios. Partly, uh, uh, largely due to Barry's producer, Ron Dante, who um, produced uh, all that, I write the songs and everything for Barry. And he started using me on second keyboard with Barry.
1: Yep. Barry
0: and, you know, and we got along and came to this boogie-woogie thing. Barry just said, Paul, you know, you play the piano. And everybody was kind of shocked that he moved over. Uh, but, uh, yeah, an early performance of mine on that. Um, And this guy, I don't know the backstory of where Will Lee got that, but he's wearing, the gentleman's wearing the old uh, late night t-shirt, isn't he? So (laughs) it's an early artifact.
1: Um, This is very cool. And Scott is, uh, Scott's gonna be delighted by that. The fact that he actually learned that from you, thinking it was Barry, uh, just as big of a a Letterman enthusiast as he is.
0: Something made him Is he
1: a friend of Will Lee's or something? you got that video from will
0: you or was i mistaken about that
1: no i i don't think uh, you know what it's funny scott for the book didn't get any of the band he tried but he couldn't get any of the band so no we're making this connection here right now he's the author of the book that's scott the author of the last days of letterman yeah 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 so
0: i got it now now i got it that's amazing that he wrote it
1: well, I'm glad um, you asked. That's my inferior uh, uh, introduction and broadcasting skills coming through right there. So that's uh, I'm know. glad I'm glad just, you clarified for the for the it. viewer.
0: Asked and now I got. it. <laughs> Obviously, no. right. um, yeah. Well, this is the one he quotes Bill Sheffs quite a bit, Ryan right, And Barbara Games.
1: They're all it's 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 an audio uh, history, so it's all the people who work like Shecky's in there, right. like a lot. Barbara, Bill, yeah, absolutely. Um, I did. I got to see it. Yeah. It's such a good. It's such a good book because again. I want to go into the bumpers here. I was going to use that as a as a way to going into the um, uh, not the bumpers, but the intros uh, that you would do for guests because that was some of the most clever version of music ever was was the inside jokes and things about uh, the oh, intros. Well, I had to, you know,
0: my instinct is the bumpers. You said I got to look. What do we have? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, have we'll it's get fun. to bumpers too. Um, but uh, uh, before, yeah, so so the idea of 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 bringing out uh, the different guests to something clever. I mean, at the end of the day, were you guys just looking for excuses to learn new songs? Is that just a new like? Was that a a concept that evolved over time? I I, I mean, late show is where I really really noticed it. But did you did you start that at late night as well? Well,
0: um. Here's the thing about late night that people don't, even some huge fans of late night, like Jimmy Kimmel, hmm. who, you know, knows every episode and stuff, but doesn't realize this, that when I first started doing the show uh, in 82, yeah. there was so, so much, I mean, I, again, the, the idea of we're going to have to do this every day, yeah. Um, I just arbitrarily said, you know what, when the comics come out, to myself, I said, when the comics come out, let, let me play them on with something that may be of their choice. I used to ask them, what do you want? Because mm-hmm. uh, they're coming out to work and do a set. Yeah. That's I, in, cool. my, in my mind. When the other people come out, I think, you know, this is a, so, a cool late night thing. It's on even after Johnny Carson. they always appealed to me, you know. Yeah. Wow. Talk about it even later, what if they just come out in silence, just to the applause? And that's for the entire 12 years. I don't th- I never played anybody out. Uh, and people don't even remember that. Yeah. Because who knows what, you know, the mix is going to be Often you just hear mostly applause anyway. Anyway, no, I, people came out in silence, except for comedians. And then I don't know, once in a while, <laughs> somebody would think of a joke. Yep. He or somebody else, you know, on, a, on an, uh, someone coming out. Wouldn't it be funny if we were playing such and such? Yep. Like, I guess when Ellen, you know, an early an early example might have been when Ellen DeGeneres came out. I think we were still on her, on her show. And I think we were still at NBC. Yep. And I guess, you know, we weren't playing anybody out yet, but I guess, yeah, you know, hard to resist playing I'm a girl watcher. <laughs> and I, that meant, you know, one of the early times when we just played it, because we had a little joke to make. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was not until we hit that big time of CBS that I was officially requested, play everybody out. Yep. Uh, uh, because we are now at 1130. And so it turned out to be a lot, you know, a lot more to learn, even though we really we only had to do eight bars. Of everything. Yep. Um, and i got to remember the name of this guy because it's so funny. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well, it was, I
1: won't mention him unless. Okay. If it maybe. pops in, grab it. If, it. if it pops in later on, just throw it out there. Marv Albert, Dreamweaver. Uh, Martin Short's yeah. kind of walk-on was uh, Valat. Um, well, oh, uh, well, you want comments on me? I'll
0: comment on every one of them.
1: Oh, oh! They're, they're, if there's a story behind them, I mean, we'll listen to. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, that's, there's gonna be some Don Giller on the screen. Yeah, well, dream oh, he's we coming. Were, He'll be back.
0: First of all, all the credit goes to segment producer Maria Pope, who was working now for Jimmy Fallon. But Yep. Just in the spirit of you know, by now we were totally into doing play-ons and making little secret points, and Maria was into it, and Marv Albert had had a sort of some unfavorable publicity whereby someone had pulled off his yep. you know his hair his hair really and said in the press, I pulled off his wig. Yep. And he said it's not a wig, it's a weave. <laughs> so Maria Pope said, Why don't when he comes out, why don't you play Dreamweaver? <laughs> and that was a no-brainer. Of course I'm gonna do that. <laughs>
1: What was the other one
0: that, that you mentioned?
1: Uh, Martin Shorts. Oh yeah. Well, that's only
0: you know. Um, we were on during the era, the MTV era, yep. for starting and and there's a big video on MTV with John Lennon's son Julian Lennon. Yes. His song was called "The Lot." It was kind of a an eerie ballad, a little bit reminiscent of a Beatles. Yep. And I don't know who said it first, but Martin Short just appealed to me. He looked like Julian Leonard. Something about his face and his nose. I don't know. So I just started playing that a lot when he came out. No other reason than that. But I think what Giller may be referring to is that uh, during, you know, while we're playing, Dave leaned over to Marty and said, Why does he play this? Is that right, Doc?
3: Yeah, that's exactly and, what happened.
0: And Marty says uh, he thinks I look like Julian Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it. that's it. So uh, you know, I think that's what he's referring.
3: There, there was a walk-on appearance with Jerry Seinfeld, where he 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 was no longer doing his stand-up on Late Night, and he came on, and he asked you, "Why no walk-on music?" And you explained on the air the, the, the differentiating between walk-on oh. guests and stand-ups. Oh, how funny. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just wanted to pipe in to say that- We were
0: really, what do they call it, full disclosure, transparent at that time. Yeah. Tell, and this is pre-internet, <laughs> was totally transparent.
3: I, I just want to, to chime in that that my, my favorite walk-on music that you guys did, and this was on Lake Show, was when Gillian Anderson uh, guested, and you would play the Jethro Toll version of Box Beret. And, uh-huh. and it, was, it was like three or four steps removed, but you got it. You know, Ian Anderson, Gillian Anderson. That to me was genius. I love that. That's all I'll I wanna
1: disappear. say.
3: <laughs> I'll disappear uh-huh. now. <laughs>
1: Um, before the end of the show, we've got a couple of uh, of, of bumpers that Don wants to identify, uh, if possible. Uh, by the way, Julian Lennon, it's much too late for goodbye. I love, it's far too late for goodbyes, much too late for yeah, goodbyes. I love that song. Oh, my gosh. Uh, growing up, watching uh, Samantha Taylor on video hits. Uh, <laughs> there's a little bit of Canadian, Canadiana there. Um,
0: yeah, I missed,
1: I missed her. Oh, man. She's... Sorry. Yeah, uh, but but Julian Lennon growing up, I uh, I loved that song. Uh, very, very cool. Um th- the one that I wanted to ask about was um Brian Williams, who is one of my favorite guests of all time. I loved him. Tr- uh, Terrence Trent Darby Wishing Well. Do you know where that one came from? Directly from him. Ah, there you go. Uh, um and he was
0: uh, conscious of the, the play plans I would do as he yep. was a listener watcher, and he just asked for that. And I don't have any more explanation. But from that point on, that was his play.
1: Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, the other thing you talk about Marv Albert and his unfortunate situation here, uh, I've asked a couple of the bandmates um, about the show behind the show. Um, and I, and I, I always loved the idea of that whenever, Whenever um, either Hal or Jerry would cut over to you and you were talking in the microphone, it have, might have only been Jerry, it might have been actually after Hal retired, where you had the microphone where you guys could have your own little shindig going on in the background and making each other cut up and laugh and all that kind of stuff. Um, I've asked about the show behind the show for a couple of the other bandmates. And the only thing that they'll talk about is the fact that you guys uh, carried on the tradition of what happened in the Schaefer household growing up. Uh, you know uh, the idea of hairpiece patrol, uh, looking at who's coming on, and how you would be able to crack up the band uh, with guests coming on. Oh yeah, that's a hairpiece, or oh that's a weaver, or, oh that's this, that's that. What else would you guys talk about uh, while the show was going on? Well, the main
0: thing in our in in my defense was that
1: <laughs> nothing to defend on. It's
0: hilarious. The secret microphone, you know. <laughs> We were able to have it because all of us had the, the ear monitors in our ears, yeah, so absolutely. we could hear not only the dialogue and our own instruments and things, but also each other. And it enabled me to tell people what we were going to play next. Yeah. The ear monitors, you know, when we we were on the air before they just, and when they when they came into style, we started using it was a revelation because I was really having trouble on that CBS stage. Sid yeah. McGinnis on guitar was way so over there that yep. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to say, uh, you know, Otis Redding. <laughs> Otis Redding. Meanwhile, say, Otis fucking Redding! And, you know, it's, it's <laughs> in the middle of a show, so that could be a problem. But these things enable me Otis Redding, you know, P of B flat. I could even be saying, you know, take these chords down. E flat, F minor, monitor minor. I would do <laughs> things like that, you know. Yep,
1: yep. That was the main
0: thing. But certainly I would say, I might say um, you know, now when well, who might have a, a toupee that we're talking, you know.
1: We don't need to name names if we don't want to, but I'm just I saying. I'll
0: say when so-and-so comes out I would, yeah.
1: <laughs> you see the toupee, don't laugh. I'd say to the back, don't laugh. You
0: know? That's all they oh. needed to hear. Of course they laughed. <laughs> would, what are you you know what's so funny over there <laughs> nothing, really, nothing he would uh, could would catch me doing something like that and would say are
1: you doing your own you seem to be doing your own show for canadian <laughs> and it was great um you know tom uh, bones was on the show and, and he talked about you know the idea of the ad lib coming into money uh you know he had the better punch line than what, or, or the alternate punch line to that um, it just added so much to it. It was a, it was a, it was a looseness. You guys had gotten to the point where, I mean, again, I only visited the show twice. Um, you know, uh, right before, uh, right before the show ended, then once back in 04. But again, both experiences, you go in there and it is a rock concert. You're not just playing, um, you know, you know, uh, eight bars of the beginning of a song, you know, before we go to commercial and then commercial, and then you, you know, come in with, you know, eight bars of a different part of the same song, you know, to, to, to play it out. It's a rock concert in there. It's a, it's a you were live uh, to tape, but it felt like a live show. Um, actually, this is a question I meant to ask earlier. Obviously Saturday Night Live had a certain pressure to it, um, you know, because it was actually live, but you guys wanted to kind of, was it that you guys wanted to replicate that kind of feeling, which is why you were so tight? In how you recorded the show? Came directly from Dave Letterman. Yep. Who who uh, who knew
0: that it was important to simulate a live event. And that's why, you know, if the tape was gonna supposed to roll at 5:30, it rolls, you know. Yeah. You, kept, you know, I would in the early days, can I have five minutes? You know, we didn't even get to rehearse the ending. Yeah. Can I have five minutes? We're rolling, you know, I'm rolling. You got to get your suit on because we're rolling in six minutes. Yeah. <laughs> if you like. So I got used to it and it added to the experience, you know, whatever shape you're in, whether you've been rehearsed or not, you're going to go on the air. So it made it a little bit like it was live. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one thing comes to mind of uh, what I, I must take credit for um, when they were on in the morning, I, I didn't. Um, wasn't on the morning show with Dave Letterman as he used to like to refer to. You know, I couldn't yep. get up that early, but
1: couldn't get up that early. Yep.
0: <laughs> However, they had a beautiful theme written by Michael McDonald. Yep.
3: Um,
0: and they he made a recording of it. I think. I don't think he sang any lyrics, but he was just kind of humming along with that gorgeous voice of his. And they used to play that at the beginning and then segue into live band. When Dave would come out, and hopefully you don't, you know, you don't hear the. I don't think you did. You, you hear the transition. Yeah. But they kind of assumed I would do the same thing. You know, you'll re- record your theme of course, and we'll play it, and then you know, segue to live when Dave. And I said, it doesn't make sense. I said, it just came off Saturday Night Live. The whole thing was, you know, the band playing it live, and the audience reaction live. So. I talked them into letting me do it that way, and of course it was—you know—it set us up there. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if any other show does what Dave does and just roll, because uh, I've had the privilege of guesting on a number of the other talk shows, and they seem to just go when they're damn ready.
1: Yeah. Uh, um. Something to be said for that too. I, well, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not a criticism. It's just, I think, I think it is one of the things that made you guys great is, is, is that, uh, it's God, Paul, it's like, you're a pro you're segueing beautifully. A few weeks ago, you got a chance to be the house band on the tonight show, uh, when the roots was over working on the Grammy stuff. Um, you got a chance to go uh, and and bring, um, you know, the, the the world's most dangerous band and actually be Fallon's uh, Tonight Show band. I was delighted by that. I've watched it three or four times. Um, I got goosebumps multiple times throughout it because you would play many of the same, uh, um, you know, standards, late, late show standards that you had right. doing it. How much fun was that to go back to Thirty Rock and to and to do that? Almost surreal.
0: Yeah, I bet. But yeah, it was so nice of uh, Jimmy to think of it and ask us to do it. And wait, you know, I got to say of the band, because some people came from worldwide, you know, Will may have told you he had to come back from France where he spends a lot of time now with his uh, his mother-in-law. And, um, and Aaron Hike was in, I think, the islands or something. But everybody, you know, Frank Green, God knows where, on Trumpet came in from who knows where, Malone from LA.
1: Yeah, Felicia drove across town.
0: Well, but she was up, you know, she was upstate, Felicia, of course. (laughs) And uh, I hope I'm not forgetting anybody because I didn't get a chance to mention everybody that night, but it was so great that we really got everybody back together. And
1: Anton. And Anton, of course, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Uh,
0: synonymous with the show, almost. And everybody was there and it was like a reunion for us. And yeah, to to pull out the old uh, songs that we used to do was kind of part of the fun.
1: I'm really glad that it was a good experience. Um, Sid wasn't there that night. Notice that. That's right. I couldn't seem to get him. Couldn't Couldn't seem to get him. Um, I want to be very cognizant of your time. Do we have have a couple more minutes for me here to bang through a couple things? I sure. appreciate it Paul. Thank you. Thank you sir. Um obviously over time, you know, anytime someone's a music fan, I'm a gigantic music fan and I mean um you know bands uh there's a unique chemistry and synergy that comes into bands and and many times that that chemistry changes over time and you need to change around the ingredients to it. That's happened obviously uh you know throughout the years in late night and late show. Um I think about the change in in Late Show with the horns. Um, was that a was that a difficult change to make? Was that a was that something? That, can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yes. Um, um, and first of all, you know, I I tried to do my first attempt was to do it with, without horns. Yep. I Think that everybody, you know, when they just said expanded band, they didn't tell me, you know, you got to get a horn section.
1: Yep. Just
0: expand the band.
1: and Yeah, you had an, another keyboardist, too.
0: I was worried about getting horns because uh, certainly at that time, and it may not be true, but but uh, if you wanted to get guys who were excellent players in all ways uh, yeah. on those horns, chances were awfully good that they were going to be older guys who, who did not dig rock and roll, who were condescending to play it. I had a big problem finding the right guys. And number two, there isn't going to be time to write everything out. And the you know these excellent players that I knew in the studio, they're just used to it. there's an arranger, and they, you know things get written out. Well, I was had time and in many cases, like a feature app, and off, almost always Tom Malone would write out a beautiful arrangement for me. But you know, if it's just going to be, uh, you know, uh, Alan DeGeneres and I'm a girl washer. Hey, G minor, you know, you got to just be able to play it. And so it was, uh, I felt a little bit compromising of the freedom that I used to have, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. you want to have that big sound. And I tried to accomplish it with the great Bernie Worrell on the synthesizer. Yep. And that's when I added Felicia. Um, and um, so I added those two people, but it wasn't giving uh, the pizzazz that, you know, an old-fashioned horn. The other thing that was confusing me was Dave was really asking me if I could kind of update my repertoire. Not okay. some of the classic R&B, but let's, you know, can we not hear some stuff that's on the radio now?
1: Yep. Well, I didn't hear any horn
0: sections in the early 90s to speak up. So again, I was confused about which way to go. But ultimately, you know, Bernie Worrell was just an artist who... Moved on and continued to create. No longer with us, but what he was a genius. Uh, but I kept Felicia after he moved on, and yeah. and I just what, broke down. Got a horn section. I could only afford two yep. initially, uh, which is weird when you only have two. You know, because so many chords chords are so often three, three yep. part. Uh, yep. not only, we, eventually, we got to the point where we could have three. And there's a brief history.
1: I feel you. Um, the horn section gag, you know, when Alan Bruce would put their hands up and all that, Like that, that was I just loved the bands. Um, I love the band's role. In Late Show, and and I, you you were characters. You were characters. Whether it was the bits that they did with Anton, whether it was, and I mean, obviously with you, all the 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 different things that they would involve you in, um, you must have real got it. You know, you obviously had the acting bug. The idea that uh, you were considered for 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 the George role in Seinfeld, a year at the top, that kind of a thing. You kind of got to have your cake and eat it too when it came to as much musical stuff as you ever wanted to collaborate with the biggest and the best, but you also got to do a little bit of acting and performing in that regard as well. Uh, Do you miss that?
0: Absolutely miss it, because it was kind of a perfect gig for me. (laughs) Yeah. But boy, you know, I certainly did it to death, longer than anybody else has done it. And with the greatest guy, Dave Letterman, you know, who who, I think all the guys working today, admit that they, you know, Dave influenced them all. Well, not that Dave didn't have his influences too,
1: but. Uh, well, of course. You know. um, the greatest broadcaster, the greatest body of broadcasting work in history. That's that's what we talk about here. Uh, we have a couple little, uh, Don's got a couple uh, bumpers that he wants to identify. And then I want to close out by talking about Warren Zevon, if that's okay with you. Yes. And uh, that'll be it. So I'm going to play. Uh, there's a video here uh, that, that we're going to play. Hopefully it doesn't get uh, censored off. I think Walter will be fine with it. Um, he wants to know this song here isn't "Camptown Races," um, but it is—it's like "Camptown Races." And so we're wondering, uh, what, what song is this? We'll
3: be back with wilderness survivalist Tom Brown
0: Jr.
1: Any memory of that?
0: Yeah, I got it. It's uh, South Street. South by Street the Orlons, by the Oil Launch. This is a, a record from about 62, 63, from Philadelphia. There it uh, is right there. South Street being the name of a you know a happening street in Philly, Philly Pierre. You're, you're one, one for one. And it, yes, is. it does sound a little like countdown race.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Uh, you're on. one for one. Wanna go for two for two?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty. I got an advantage, obviously. Uh, clearly. And I want to mention about Don Giller, the other thing he mentioned, that other song, but go ahead.
1: Okay. How's that?
0: No, I can't. I can't identify that one.
1: Okay, we're one for two. Perfect. Um, and I got one more for the tiebreaker. Let's see if we can get this thing going. Uh, okay. <laughs>
0: That's easy. That's easy. Everybody should know that. Oh. Don, don't you know that one?
3: <laughs> I, I, I wish it. I did. I, I'm okay. embarrassed that I can't recognize it. It's Color My World
0: by a Chicago Transit Authority from their, you know, their first double album before they became Chicago. Gotcha. That sung by Terry Kath, their late great uh, original guitarist.
3: I should know that and I don't and I thank you for that and also for the for the South Street. Uh, that's been bugging me for well, years. That Pyramids
0: record, <laughs> uh, I w- it just happened to come across something by it, it, when, when Hiram, my first guitarist Hiram Bullock, was alive. Uh, sometimes he would take show off and go to Japan to do a gig or something. And his first major sub that would come in and replace him was a guy named Steve Kahn. Sure. Interesting jazz guitarist. Father was Sammy Kahn, the great lyricist, wrote Come Fly With Me and all the synodics, Mm -hmm. ridiculous. But he was a jazz, esoteric guitarist, but he started out playing drums for the Chantais, who did Pipeline. So he started as a surf drummer. Steve Kahn. Steve Kahn, the jazz player. Wow. He changed his spelling of his name with K. Yeah. Out to be like his father, Sammy. K-H.
3: Yeah, K-H-A-N.
0: Yeah, but yeah, he was a surf drummer with the Chantay's, and the the Chantay's guitar players turned him on to jazz and stuff. (laughs) So. That's great. so, So when he was in the band, we got to play things like the Pyramid. He had a little bit of a surf repertoire, among other things. He knew the Pyramids and the different bands like that. You,
3: you, you, would, you would play both Pipeline and the Pyramid song. And, and what always threw me was that they, they were, uh, I mean, the pyramid song was two years after the Shantes, Uh but it was such a rip off of it, except for the melody.
0: Yes, it was a rip off. But I think it was probably a day when Steve Pond was on guitar, so we were playing. Uh, right,
3: now that first song, <clears throat> the, the, the song that you couldn't identify, uh, I, I, I remember bugging you about that on on Twitter some years ago. Um, uh, it, it's a it was a friend of mine worked at the Library of Congress in the 90s, and he sent me printouts of copyright copyrighted notices uh, of songs that you had written Hiram had written Steve Jordan had written. Uh, the, Paul is dead, which was uh, Will Hiram and 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 uh, and Steve. I remember that one, yeah. Right,
0: that as a, as an and,
3: and there was a song that Hiram had copyrighted. This is in nine in eighty two, called "Before We Close," and 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 it made sense to me that that's the song that, well, that, was, that you guys were performing. It sounds
0: like a yeah. It, it sounds like a, certainly as something we might do in that last commercial. Right. Story
3: because well, it's a slower thing it's it's a you know it's calm down things, it shows yeah.
0: maybe that was it uh very now, we possibly could have been in. well you, you know, know named after um james brown's first appearance on on letterman I'll we, say again i'm sorry that song his Hiram song before we close. uh it was if, really- if
3: that's his song because it was you also played it while during when Steve Kahn would sub for Hiram, again, this is only in 82 when this happened, uh, uh, he would play that song. And I asked him about it and, and he kept logs of of everything, but he didn't have anything on that. So he couldn't, he yes, didn't know-
0: like something about Derek and the Dominoes era that yeah. Sid, but Sid McGinnis knew, he knew that era. But the, but if it's before we close, I was going to say that we, we musicians, after we got to play with James Brown that first time, we were on a, a week-long hive, watching it on our VCRs every day, memorizing not only the musical cues, but the dialogue too. Everything james said, we it was kind of in our ears. He talked in such a musical way
3: well, and, the, the high the high point for me was when when he when he scurried over to the organ and won to play and and sort of oh, you yeah. know asked you to set aside and and you were thrilled to have him do it. He
0: was so slim he could get squeeze in. <laughs>
3: uh,
0: but but he did a third. We were doing we did two numbers that we had semi heard, right. and then he heard us doing a third, and he wanted to do it. He wanted to sing it. He spontaneously, Dave just let him take over the show, and and James said, "You know what I do can, <laughs> can do it now. We can all All of us could do it. You know what I to do now. Before you close, he said to the letter. Can we right, go- right, right? So that's that was- the question. before you close. That's where that. So fits.
3: maybe that's it. But the, oh. but I, I can't. I, I would love to get confirmation on that. That, that, that's the song. That Sound I- like
0: a higher melody. That's yeah, like a melody. So the same,
3: same, thing with your in the, your song for Herb. That, that was also in the uh, in the Library of Congress copyright thing, and uh, and you had helped you had identified that for me on Twitter some years ago. the, the song for Herb. Um right, so was, we, been in honor of Herb
0: Schlosser. Right. Year, so I C-
3: can I bug you about about the 84 auditions? Yeah. Guitar auditions.
0: Yeah. I mean when we I had various guitar players uh, yeah now, a week at a time and stuff.
3: When when Hiram had left and Steve Kahn had subbed for six weeks, but he wasn't really interested in, in becoming the permanent chair.
0: Right.
3: Um and then Wadi Wachtel came in for a week. But I, I got the sense that he wasn't auditioning he was just there for the for the week and then and then the auditions began with with Jeff Lee who has passed away yeah. uh Buzzy Fightin yeah. who I only knew well, they're of they're as gone, as,
0: Buzzy Featon.
3: yeah Buzzy Featon, who I only Ooh, knew yeah. of as being in the Butterfield Band uh yeah. I think with David Sanborn I think um yeah. and and uh and Elliot Randall um yes. And Sid was in Japan playing, uh, playing with the Laurie and Laurie. Yeah, Lori Anderson. Oh, yeah. Anderson. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, and I guess what I'm asking, this is a question that's longer than the answer. I, I realize. Um, did you reach out to these players, or or did you send out word and these players contacted you and asked to audition?
0: Oh, How did I, that happen? It would have been different, it you know, I was reaching out. Certainly, I think Jeff Lee, for instance, had played on a jazz gig with him, and mm-hmm. he impressed me, and I could see that he knew rock and roll too. Things like that. Buzzy and I don't know how I got to him, but I had been a, a fan of his since those Bad Butterfield records. Elliott mm-hmm. played with on this in the studios all the time, so I, you know, asked him to do a, little, a thing like that. Everybody would have been different.
3: Okay, yeah, as I said, the answer but is I was, I was,
0: I was uh trying reaching out to people, seeing if they might work.
3: One thing that's, that Steve Kahn had told me that that he wasn't a singer and he wanted a singer,
0: certainly that helped. Yeah.
3: You
0: know. Um, it could sing,
3: all right. Yeah, no, I was, I was curious. It was
0: a very tough act to, to follow, right? He was so good, he was up there with Hendrix. I mean, you don't want to say he was. As good, but he
1: wow, getting up there that's a huge statement. And everybody
0: would agree, I think the other guitar players, and, but he, what he added, it, which was you know, a musical knowledge, training, and and uh, you know, knowledge of jazz and stuff. Hendrix could have played anything, of course, but mm-hmm. Iron was a oh, school trained musician, too. I,
3: I remember as a viewer, I, I had never heard of this guy. Um, and and I'm thinking, what the hell is he playing? You know, how is he doing this? Uh, it's just so out of step with everything else that was going on at the time, and that's what made your band so revolutionary. That's, that's, that's...
0: yeah. Well, yeah. We man, you know, thank you for saying.
1: Appreciate. It. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I'm done. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that, Don. Um... Paul, okay, so I'm going to ask, at some point in the next year, will you please come on here? I didn't get to Julie Roberts. I didn't get to you hosting the show. By the way, that Julie Roberts, that's my very favorite Paul Schaefer moment by far. Uh, you know the moment I'm talking about. Uh, like, one of the greatest, oh, was so good. When you would bring in ad-libs like that, did you ever get any heat for anything that you ever, you said off the cuff? I, I can't imagine you did, but I mean, it was such a, an amazing moment. Uh, where you asked her if she was getting laid, if she's been late lately. Um, oh, no, I never got it. it was, it was all part of
0: the show and. So good. All, it wasn't
1: live. Yeah. Oh, there That's true too. Yeah. I suppose. Um, you oh, know, I you was, host.
0: They played that up and, you know, got, got additional laughs up, out of it. So it was a. It was was well.
1: Fantastic ad lib. Um. I could definitely, I've got so many questions about uh, about different things, but I'm so grateful for this moment to to That's have good, to talk good. to you. Sure. If it were up to me, um, you know, this show obviously, you know, I've I've made no bones about talking about how there should be an official Letterman podcast. I've I've you know been petitioning Walter and everybody that I wanna I wanna do this. If it were up to me, there'd be a sister podcast to this. And I said this to Felicia and Will, and I think bones even too. Um there'd be a show called Live on Letterman. And it would, it would literally only focus on the music of, and I would love to talk to artists. Like one of my favorite bands in the world is a UK band called The Heavy. I wouldn't know about The Heavy if it wasn't for their two performances on your show and how they captivated Dave and he made them repeat, play the song again. I, I loved moments like that. Um, I can name so many artists that I have in my life that I love because of, that and i, I want to do an entire entire podcast called live at letterman on, on on the music stuff thank you for your part in that thank you for all of the um uh, i say this to the writers all the time i'm going to say it to you a bunch of the gray matter pathways in my brain have been created because of you guys um do you yeah. uh do you still try and you know do you still listen to a lot of new music uh certainly but i tend to go
0: back to the same 10 records you know that i've been listening to since i was a kid and still hear new things in jailhouse rock oh that piano i never heard that before you know i'm still listening to the same song
1: i gotcha um what's your if i was to name your favorite rock song like like rock song that has an organ predominantly in it what's your favorite one
0: i don't know i mean that's organ song or rock organ so many why do you say? Paleo, uh, you can't argue oh. with the idea pale. Yep. Uh, um, and uh, I, I think um, when, when Deep Purple did um, "Hush," that uh, yep. was a great Morgan solo. But yep. Rod Argent's, you know, stuff into the Zombies, she's not there.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. These are the ones I thought. Can I try and give you uh, one that you may have never heard of? Yeah, of course. Okay. Do you remember the band Faith No More? Yes. Okay. Faith No More had a B-side. It was only released, I think, on a, on a, on a live album that came out uh, in the UK. I don't even think, it, I think it was an import, uh, but it was called The Cowboy Song. I'll email it to you. Oh, it's, okay. it's a B-side and it, it has a really awesome organ part that I think I think you'll love it. I think you'll really like it. It's a rock song with an organ. We oh, you know that they have a
0: keyboard player. Who played? Roddy,
1: Roddy Bottom was their, is, is their keyboard player and he is incredible. Um. Yeah, awesome. Okay. So uh I want to finish off with Warren's Yvonne and 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 uh, for for a whole bunch of reasons. Um I say enjoy every sandwich uh still to this day, Rupert and I go back and forth and enjoy and by the, the Hello Deli's for sale. Talk about how, enjoy every sandwich. Oh my gosh. Let's go in on it. Yeah.
0: Buy you and I buy it.
1: What's that? Let's
0: go in on it, you and I.
1: Yeah. Oh, there you go. Let's do okay. it. Let's buy the Hello deli. Oh my gosh. Right. Uh, I'm in. I'm in. I'll learn how to make a sandwich. Uh, and the Paul Schaefer is the best sandwich on the menu, by the way. Wow. Um, the uh, but but Warren Zevon, hopefully this year going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, I could have we could have done an entire podcast on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and all this stuff. Paul, you're such a legend. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about Warren Zevon, what he meant to the band. You would go off for uh, you know holidays, uh, religious holidays, or, or or if you were you were away, Warren Zevon Zevon would come in. Um, I learned about Warren Zevon because of you guys. And and I, I'm going to say this as delicately as I can. I'm a Gen Xer. Bob Dylan to me is a little bit different than Bob Dylan is to my dad. Um, yeah. If I were to compare who a Bob Dylan type character is to me, it'd be Warren Zevon. And it's because of you guys. I adore him. I love him. Um, Kevin Smith was going to make a movie about hit somebody uh, around hit somebody at one point. I hope that still happens. Um how how cool would it be if Warren Zivon went into the Hall of Fame this year?
0: Well, of course, he should be in. Uh, as so influential, so many people cut his songs and, you know, referred to him as a great poet, which he was, an interesting guy. And, and Dave Letterman was the first guy who really was hip to him. You know, even he had his uh, uh, excitable boy out and stuff werewolves but dave was into his albums and things and we started having him on as a guest yeah and then it was uh, i had to take two weeks off which was kind of unprecedented we didn't yeah. take my time off if we could help but uh, i was gonna get to be in the blues brothers movie sequel and i had to go and, and shoot it for two weeks Dave uh, liked everything the same you know so i was trying to figure out who am i going to get for two whole weeks and it was our talent uh, coordinator at the time was Sheila Rogers, who suggested, What about Warren? Oh, my goodness, the one guy that Dave would be happy to look, look at and see, you know, if I wasn't going to be there. So, Warren was able to do it. He started doing covers like we always do. He came in with various things written out, like a Spice Girls arrangement written out <laughs> on score <laughs> paper. <laughs> Warren, what a, you know? Uh, anyway, that's another story. We but
1: work faster I, than that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'd like to hear Warren's songs when he does it. So when when he would do it, it would be all his songs. Yeah. Actually, for bumpers, play ons, everything. Um, nice of him to be able to do it, and certainly that last show. What can you say? That was real television. He did. He sang three songs. Yeah. It was hard on anybody to rehearse three and then do them right away at the air show, but he, you know, this was absolutely dying. And it. it was amazing.
3: Bruce that Kapler.
1: Should, oh, go uh, ahead there, Don.
3: Uh, Bruce Kapler told me that that uh, uh, he he had tears coming. Down. He he was wearing sunglasses, and uh, I think the song was genius. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and and Bruce could could barely read the charts because he had tears coming down. I was going to say that. Uh, did you know that Warren was scheduled to be the first to be? Warren was scheduled to be on the first late night.
0: On oh, the very but,
3: show, oh. the very first, and but he was bumped because there was there there was there was enough time. There was there was so much stuff. I mean, he he was listed in TV Guide as being as as being scheduled uh, oh. by the Friday before the first show he wasn't listed. So it was determined at some point before the show that that there was no room for him to to come on.
0: I was not aware of that. It was certainly the time when, you know, unlike today, every show did not necessarily end with a musical guest.
3: Yeah, yeah. No
0: music at all for a couple of weeks in a row. And then gradually, you know, once in a while a musician would come on it would be a musical guest and
1: eventually evolved into the way it is now.
3: That's a whole episode, whole different episode with Oh, there? so
1: many. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like dream guests for this show. Uh, you know, Dave Grohl, Eddie Vedder, some of the some of the people who have uh, had had massive attachments to um, to the production. I just, uh, Paul, I appreciate you so much. You know, I got to tell you this. Um, one of the one of the themes, like the theme for this, uh, we got a little uh, a little uh, uh, you know parody version almost of, of 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 the first few bars of uh of the theme is what is the theme to this show it was almost going to be do you remember the fanfare you guys used to do just that that was originally going to be the theme to this show um yeah. those those little fanfares that you guys played uh like again seared into my brain I I can't tell you how much of a pleasure it is to talk to you. Um, I hope I can get you back at some point um, and I'll be a little less freaked out and I can, (laughs) I can get to some more deep cut stuff. Um, But I have to tell you uh, on behalf of me, but on behalf of all of the enthusiasts and there are so many, you guys are like, I mean, I don't know, fish, the grateful dead when it comes to late night talk shows. I mean, you guys are a cult classic. Uh, My tonight show um and and I'm, i know none of you like to take compliments so so you know i thought maybe you might be the exception paul i worship you guys you guys are absolutely um the fabric of 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 who i am when it comes to entertainment
0: well, now you're embarrassing me okay let, let me get off i just want to say can i quote you if i you know we were the fish of late night television yes i'm,
1: going to I'm right you to can you. <laughs>
0: thank you thank you uh it's been fun mike and uh Don Geller, that was, you know, hilarious. This explains everything.
1: (laughs) And yet there's so much more now. Um, Thank you very much, Paul. I I appreciate this so much. I'll uh, hit stop now and we can say our goodbye privately. Uh, Paul Schaefer, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, how awesome was that? (laughs) I mean, come on. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I have much more to say from that other than... um, uh oh i didn't announce in the uh, in the intro uh we got a website now you can go to lettermanpodcast.com or the lettermanpodcast.com we got both um and i'll tell you this there's a guy who uh, this everything that's happened for us has been like we have no budget for this show we've got no this is this show is built on love and collaboration really is what it is um So somebody came forward and and, and said, Hey, we want to build you a website. And uh, his name is Joel Day. I'm going to, I'm going to be throwing out his contact info um, because he built this website for us and it's pretty skookum and it's just starting right now. So, so we're very excited about that. So you can go to lettermanpodcast.com for more information about the show. Um, and, and, and of course we've got our Facebook group. So it's nice on the anniversary day to be able to announce that we'll talk more to come on that more to come on Joel. Uh, I mean, Joel built this website for us without even being in the same room with me. So uh, if you need a website, uh the, here's a guy here who can, is extremely talented. Um, So I'll throw his name out there. Thank you very, very, very much for that. You can go to lettermanpodcast.com. Again, check the, uh, the socials, get into the uh, Letterman podcast group on Facebook. If you want one of the Letterman, the late show rejection postcards, um, that's been our first year. That's been the first year of the Letterman podcast with Mike Chisholm. Coincidentally, I am Mike Chisholm. Thank you. And good night. Overcoat and underpants.